Welcome to the Scientific Sense podcast, where we explore emerging ideas from science, policy, economics, and technology. My name is Gil Epen. We talk with world's leading academics and experts about their recent research or general areas of topical interest. Scientific Sense is an unstructured conversation with no agenda or preparation. We cover a wide variety of domains where new discoveries are made and new technologies are developed on a daily basis. We are most interested in how new ideas affect society and help educate the world how to pursue a rewarding and enjoyable life rooted in science, logic, and information. We seek knowledge without boundaries or constraints and provide unedited content of conversations with researchers and leaders who love what they do. A companion blog to this podcast can be found at scientificsense.com and this podcast is available on over a dozen platforms and directly at scientificsense.net. If you have suggestions for topics, guests, and other ideas, please send them to info at scientificsense.com and I can be reached at gil at epen.info. My guest today is Professor Raghuram Iyengar, who is a professor of marketing at the Wharton School and faculty director of Wharton Customer Analytics, focusing on the practice of data-driven business decision-making. Professor Iyengar's research interests are in the area of pricing and social networks, and his teaching interests are in market research and analytics. In the area of pricing, his work focuses on the impact of multi-part pricing schemes on consumer response. Welcome, Raghu. Thank you for having me, Gil. Uh, so I want to start with one of your recent papers entitled The Impact of Subscription Programs on Customer Purchases. And in this paper, you examine uh, the effect of adopting a subscription program like Amazon Prime uh, on subsequent uh, customer behavior using uh, panel data from a company that launched a new subscription program. And I believe the data is coming from, uh, from, uh, from Asia. Yes. So you want to talk a bit about that paper? Sure. Uh, so as you can imagine, you know, many companies, especially in this uh, pandemic world, post-pandemic world, uh, have been really thinking very carefully about how to engage consumers. Yeah. Um, subscriptions are clearly one of the ways in which they can not just get consumers for the first time purchase, but hopefully they can have a recurring purchase as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may have looked at lots of news articles where, you know, subscription numbers are going through the roof. Uh, yeah. Not surprising. Entertainment, for example, people are latching onto Netflix, Disney Plus, amazing numbers. Um, <laughs> nobody wants to now go to the stores, or at least less people want to go to the stores. Yeah. So retail numbers are also high up in subscription. So clearly, subscriptions are something that people are very interested in from a company point of view. Right. Uh, what this paper was looking at uh, was looking at you know what is the impact of these subscriptions, hmm. and the reason why this question is interesting is if you can if you think about it. Uh, when you're trying to look at the impact, one can sort of naively look at what was happening before somebody became a subscriber and what happened afterwards. That's a possibility. Uh, But what's the problem there? The problem there, of course, is that these subscribers don't become subscribers by chance. Hmm. Uh, Perhaps you can think about Amazon Prime or whatever the case might be, your favorite subscription. You look at it, uh, you know, you look at your usage for a little while. You're saying, well, you know, I'm buying a lot of things from it. Uh, Looks like it's quite good. 
over time, you start buying more from it. And at some point, you say, you know what? It's probably better for me to become a subscriber. It's okay. going to be some cost, right? Yeah. Uh, so that's what I would call self-selection, which is yeah. rather than the impact of the subscription, over time, people who became subscribers, well, they wanted to become one because it's probably good for them. So they got some data, they got some historical data, and they made an informed decision. Exactly. Um, and many and, of us yeah. do that. Yeah. Uh, where you're kind of seeing, and, and it probably goes both ways as well. At some point, you know, you're on a subscription. Over time, you see yourself not using it. Yeah. Uh, at some point, you might say, look, it's not worth my while. Um, so in that case, then if, uh, if a company really wants to know what's the impact of the program that they have introduced, mm-hmm. uh, it's not sufficient to simply compare before versus after. Right. Uh, because clearly you are, in some sense, uh, putting two things together. One is the self-selection that we just talked about, yeah. together with the actual impact of the program. Um, right. Ideally, what a company would like is that you know, somebody became a subscriber. Let's say let's take Gil as an example. Mm-hmm. Gil became a subscriber. Uh, not only was he buying something from us before, but the amount he's buying now, the variety of things he's buying now, all yeah. the other things have gone up. Why? Because he's become a subscriber. So it would be great if the company can say that more conclusively than just self-selection. Right. But there is always a selection bias in there somehow, right? So you need to you need to remove that or how do very you think about point. that? Very, yeah. very good point. So indeed, absolutely. So there's uh, so what I, you know, in a very simple way, one can think about the following. If I simply look at, uh, and I'll continue to take Gil as an example. Yeah. Uh, I think it just be, Makes it easier for people, perhaps your audience, to kind of relate to. Uh, <laughs> okay. So if uh, you know, if I take Gil as an example, and I look at uh, what he buys after becoming a member uh, of a subscription versus before, mm-hmm. it's comprised of two parts. One is what I call self-selection, so to speak, uh, which is uh, if I take Gil uh, as a subscriber, clearly the reason he's subscribing is because he perhaps liked the subscription. So I somehow have to remove that part, so to speak from the overall impact to then look at the causal impact. Right. And so to do that, uh, I think I'll just explain it in a simple way and then we can, you know, tell me how how much detail you want. We can go into that detail. Yeah. Uh, But in the simplest way, you can think about the following. So the, the, what we would ideally like to do is the following. Let's, uh, let's take Gil and let's take Raghu, two of us. Uh, Let's suppose both of us were non-subscribers in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Over time, Gil became a subscriber. And Raghu did not. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a little bit step forward, which is now I can say, what was Gil doing before and after? Mm-hmm. And what was Raghu doing before and after? Why is that slightly better? Because now I'm comparing Gil to a non-subscriber. Yeah. But then, of course, it's still not enough because, you know, Raghu and Gil are different people. Right. So how do I, in some sense, and that's where some of the machine learning part that we have in the paper comes in. Yeah. How do I, in some sense, compare apples to apples? And the idea in some sense is finding lookalikes for every Gil who became a member. Can I find somebody who is just like Gil on many, many, many different dimensions? How many, how much time has he spent with the company? How many products has he bought from the company? All of those things. Yeah. But for one key difference, did not become a subscriber. So in some sense, for every Gil, we're trying to find a Mm non-subscriber who matches Gil on many dimensions. And that way we can find those lookalikes, so to speak, to then see what would have happened to Gil had he not become a subscriber and quote unquote, take that difference away. Okay, so it won't be a perfect match. So exactly. I guess this is where you use a generalized random forest exactly. uh, approach to it. So essentially you can pick uh, from the sample and find a probability 
uh, yes. I would imagine why that person is a match to the to the person very, very that you're point. considering, right? Very good point. So there are many ways to go about it. Yeah. Uh, so you could have uh, like a, a you know the propensity score model. That's what they call it, which is yeah. literally you come up with a model, a bunch of different variables, and try to figure out what's the probability that somebody will become a subscriber versus not. The generalized random forest goes a little bit further uh, in the sense that what I call as non-parametric, so to speak. Yeah. In the sense that we don't have to rely on one particular model per se. Uh, and so don't make those assumptions. You simply, uh, what you're trying to do is, you, you and, and this is the easiest way to think about it, you simply go ahead and take all the variables. We had about 70 odd, for example, yeah. and I'll come back to that point. We had a lot of variables. Yeah. And literally what you're doing is you're going down a tree. That's what they call it. Like a forest is a collection of trees. Mm -hmm. so go down a tree and at every branch, so to speak, figure out, is Gil and somebody else, are they the same on, let's say, the number of products? So say, yes. So let's go down that branch. Are they the same on the variety of products? Yes. Let's go down that branch. And yeah. finally, what you're left with are people who are similar, so to speak, without even in, involving any model per se, yeah. uh, on many, many dimensions. Now, there are two things to keep in mind. Uh, one is, of course, you must have a large number of non-subscribers. Because mm -hmm. you're simply trying to find for every Gil, find out who are the people like Gil. Right. And it's going to be hard to find that if you don't have that many people who are non-subscribers. So that's number one. Especially when you have 70 attributes in the data. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That was the other point I was going to bring up. The more variables you want to put in, yeah. obviously, larger sample that you want to have. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so, so um, you know, so you, you kind of match subscriber to non-subscribers on as many, uh, as many attributes you can. And you look at their behavior uh, post subscription, right? And uh, and and you're trying to find out. Uh, I guess there are different effects yeah. uh, that might be in the number, right? Yes. Um, so so what are those effects that you found? So very good point. So a couple of things. Yeah. One is uh, you can think of different uh, what I call dependent variables as well, or things of managerial interest. So yeah. for instance, you could say, well, let's start with the simplest one, uh, which is. Uh, you know, when somebody was spending before versus after, how much were they spending more? Was there a pattern in there? So we clearly find that uh, while there is a peak in the beginning, like you can call it a novelty effect, whatever you want to call it, yes. uh, like there is indeed a bump. Uh, about 85% of that bump overall is explained by the actual impact and 15% was the self-selection. Hmm. So after accounting for the fact that, you know, people like Gil become subscribers because they like it, yeah. After taking that away, still about 85% of the effect is because of the subscription itself. So okay. that's number one, which is, I think, good news for the company. Yeah. Clearly, the subscription is having an impact. Yeah. Uh, the second thing that we also found was, again, good news for the company, was that even if we went beyond the first month, and then we took different, uh, different time periods. We took like month one, month uh, two to five, then five onwards. You yeah. still found a lingering impact even after about five, six months or so. So it looks like the subscription has a longer run impact uh, beyond just, you know, the initial kind of novelty effect. People yeah. do indeed end up buying a lot more. Hmm. That's very interesting. So you, you have an example there, Amazon Prime, which is yes. a pretty successful product. Yes. Uh, you say that members spend 1300 per year. Exactly. Uh, uh, which is almost double <laughs> yes. their spending, right? Before, yes. Before subscription, yeah. Yes. So I think there again, the, the reason why I think this example is interesting is, of course, and, and we don't know the internal details of Amazon. Yeah. Uh, so exactly, I mean, this is obviously uh, kind of uh, the data that's available uh, outside publicly. Right. Uh, but, you know, even with that number, 
uh, the the fact that we would like to i think uh, one thing to take away from that is while indeed when you look at the uh, the revenue side of things it looks like non-members are spending almost half the members mm -hmm. but at the same time the uh, the key thing to remember is the difference between members and non-members might be comprised of two parts which yeah. is the self-selection and and the true impact right right and so that's something to keep in mind that in, it's very hard to say did amazon really cause people to buy double yeah uh, that probably would be a very loaded statement so so just my, my understanding ragu so you say only one third of the effect on customer purchases is due to the economic benefits yes uh, the customer is making an economic decision and yes. the other is just attributed to them becoming a member yes say. very good point and so a couple of things that we wanted to also look at so for example yeah. take any program amazon as an example or even this company the the one that we worked with many of these programs are not just simply about economic benefits yes they obviously they, they are a part of the program yeah. but you take any program it's about you know kind of taking your uh, customers that you were interacting with before and perhaps giving them a more exclusive uh, set of offers mm -hmm. so what you want your current customers to feel like is not just they got a good deal so to speak but they are part of an exclusive club um, yeah. so there is something intangible something more psychological and so what we wanted to see was of the total impact that we just discussed which is the true impact causal impact of the program mm -hmm. can we further decompose it how much of that would be because of simply quote unquote getting better prices better deals so to speak right and how much is this quote unquote remaining which perhaps cannot be explained by changes in prices per se mm -hmm. but then it might be because of the structure of the program right. so let me give you one example Yes. in this example or in this uh, and which is true for many many programs as well is one interesting feature of this was that um, and this is of course uh, idiosyncratic to this company yeah. is that they basically said why don't you pay quote unquote 50 dollars up front mm -hmm. to become a member and we'll give you back a 50 dollar gift card yeah so it's kind of interesting eh? you might wonder like why are they doing that it's like you know give 50 dollars get 50 dollars in some sense it's kind of like net net zero <laughs> right it's like it's like you know it's a little bit surprising but you know if you think about it um, and this is again just uh, for your reader uh, for your listeners this uh, program was in a cosmetics industry which is very very competitive yeah and so what the company uh, wanted to literally do was even though they are getting 50 dollars and they're quote unquote giving back a 50 dollar gift card what they've actually done is kind of made your money non fungible now yeah if you think about it right? if you're buying going to buy from a company and you're saying look i've already paid 50 dollars there and i've got this gift card sitting with me mm. so perhaps you're thinking in your mind all the other things perhaps i was buying elsewhere maybe i should buy in this company because i got a gift card now and i have <laughs> right. a relationship with this company yeah. so in some sense this is a, a, a what you would call like a sunk cost you've already sunk that money in yeah might as well try and see if you can amortize that cost so to speak yeah so the, the sunk cost fallacy we'll get to that but i also yeah. found another piece of information extremely interesting so yeah, please. you say that 82% of prime members shop with amazon even yes. though the price yes. is lower elsewhere yes. Yes. which is a which is a fantastic number uh so so do you want to talk a bit about that sure again just to kind of be sure that this yeah. is obviously data that we didn't collect sure. uh, it was actually a survey that was done externally and yeah. i wish we could actually get internal amazon data uh, yeah. to be able to validate some of <laughs> yeah, these numbers yeah they won't let that one go of course <laughs> not uh, i have a i have a joke that i tell people that you know whenever you talk to anybody who works at amazon you look at their eyes perhaps they want to say something but they can't uh, <laughs> so in that sense uh, you know these are the best we can do yeah um, but indeed i mean the numbers there and if you look at the retention rate that has been also speculated for amazon prime it's amazing right. um, so clearly people are finding a lot of value 
Uh, if you think about, again, uh, you know, those of us who might be Amazon Prime members, I think they clearly lowered the hurdle in terms of ordering. Yeah. Uh, there are so many different things that you can get from one place. Yeah. Uh, it becomes easy in terms of shipping, all of those things. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why, uh, you know, you, you see that statistic where even though it's a slightly higher price somewhere else, yeah. the hurdle of perhaps, uh, you know, A, looking at shipping, the hurdle of coordinating that versus everything in one place, clearly there is a lot to be said for that. Yeah. And then, as you mentioned, the sunk cost fallacy. So, uh, you know, uh, I mean, sunk cost obviously is, uh, you know, this idea that after you have spent or invested uh, some amount of money, you yes. take that into account in your future decisions, even though business schools teach you yes. uh, that money is gone. You shouldn't yes. be worried about that. Now, there is a there is a qualitative aspect to this uh, sunk cost uh, uh, fallacy also, Raghu. For example, you know, we, we have Amazon Prime some years, some years we don't. When we have yes. Amazon Prime, we tend to watch the Amazon Prime movies, even though yes. we have Netflix. Of course. <laughs> of course. So you want to talk a bit about, you know, what the sunk cost fallacy is and how much it's really affecting the numbers? No, I think, you know, in our case, I think, you know, you're absolutely right on the money in the sense that uh, basically when you, uh, you know, you kind of pay upfront, uh, yeah. in this case, of course, there's the $50 upfront, the the findings that have been there, and there's a huge amount of work that uh, Arkeys and Bloomer and some of these, you know, wonderful people who've done work in the past yeah. on sunk cost, what they've found is that even though when you're going to make that decision, you know, the, that money that has been sunk has been in the past. So you should make the, uh, the incremental value cost trade off at that point in time. Yeah. Uh, but as you were mentioning, people don't do that. They look at things that have been done in the past and then make that trade-off. Right. And so in that sense, uh, what we find here and other people have also found is that, you know, people kind of accumulate the use of the product or service after the upfront payment. Yeah. And they kind of justify it because they want to amortize that cost. Right. But the hope also is that it should become less salient uh, as you keep using it and the yeah. effect should wear off as well. And that's what we find as well, which is, uh, you know, things that are early on upfront, the more... Uh, novel the thing is you've already paid for it right now you use it more but over time the the usage also comes down because the saliency of that cost comes down as well yeah yeah so one thing that went through my mind when i was reading your paper was and i think you you described this already you know why not pay the customers to become members rather mm -hmm. than asking them to uh, pay for it right exactly. so if there is sort of a club effect so to exactly. speak uh, exactly. that induces uh, purchasing behavior over a long period of time it might be worthwhile for the company to actually say, we will pay you to become members, right? Exactly. So I think in some sense, you think about it, uh, where for this company and others uh, like this, obviously this is not uh, any idiosyncratic company by any means. Yeah. Um, many companies like this, they what they've also discovered is in some sense, uh, you know, when you go ahead and pay for it, uh, you as the customer, I mean, there is, there is skin in the game, so to speak, right. uh, where you then kind of become more vested in it. Uh, you perhaps actively start thinking, and this is like the Costco membership, you know, people yeah. have talked about it as well, yeah. uh, where, you know, once you become a member, you suddenly find that all the other things that perhaps you were buying elsewhere, right. you want to now accumulate in that trip to Costco because uh, you want to kind of make use of the fact that you're now a member. Um, yeah. There could be multiple reasons. One is that obviously it's easier. Travel costs are less so. Another is that now you have access to a variety of products that perhaps you didn't have access to before. Mm -hmm. So there could be a variety of other things going on as well. Yeah, I, 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 it might be uh, quite small, Raghu, but I wondered, once you become a member and you get to know the firm in more detail, yeah. then your search costs also go Absolutely. down a bit, right? Absolutely. That's a great point. 
actually in our case uh, which you know and i think that's a very very good uh, point to bring up which is you can imagine the following uh, which was not true in our case but i'll give you uh, uh, an example yeah that you can imagine the following let's imagine any you know any retailer let's not name anybody but let's imagine any retailer you can think of perhaps if you become its member and you go ahead and let's think digitally for now you become its member you go and log in perhaps the the the, the web page that you see or the home page that you see as a member Hmm. might be different from a non member right uh, because you know you are provided exclusive benefits you are provided different details for products perhaps there are some feature products that you have access to as a member that other people don't have uh, perhaps the recommendation system is better for non mem- for members as compared to non all of those things are possible yeah yeah it so happened that in our case the company yeah. that we were working with did not have this differentiation Right. Uh, because the number of members they had accumulated were actually much smaller than its non membership base mm. and so in that sense you know on the one hand uh, while certainly uh, this might be happening in other companies and other subscriptions we were you know counterintuitively uh, as academics kind of happy that they were not changing anything because then we can sharply understand what was going on right right yeah it would be uh, interesting um to to look at a data set where the company had a subscription program and they took the subscription program away yes <laughs> what the effects of that absolutely actually you know if you talk about that uh, yeah. you know think about companies like starbucks for example yeah uh, where they haven't taken away the program but a few years ago and more so recently uh, mm-hmm. they have actually changed certain aspects of the program mm-hmm. and so for example uh, you know uh, more recently what had happened was and true for many other companies they've been thinking very carefully given the pandemic world of how we can have contactless payment when yeah. we go to starbucks yeah. so uh, traditionally starbucks the way it was working was you took the app you put money in it you would get i believe uh, for every dollar you spend you get two stars or something like that i don't remember the conversion rate exactly uh, but what they then did was great now that uh, customers or people who are coming into starbucks would like to use other options let's say debit cards or credit cards mm. can we make that happen they did but you only get a single star for it right so what they're trying to do is to still have the loyalty program but give a slight edge to the members who yeah. are typically kind of doing it through their app as opposed to people who are now doing it through other strategies right right yeah so so i want to in conclusion of this paper uh, i want to uh, go through the four sort of questions you set out to answer so yeah. the first one is does the subscription program generate value for the firm uh, the answer to that is a, a yes for sure yes. right yes and the next one is is a subscription program effective in inducing customers to change their subsequent behavior because of the membership itself and or economic benefits associated with the program and it's yes and yes it sounds to me right that is correct uh, economic benefits about one third and the other two third intangible effect yes. okay okay exactly and how does the effect uh, both total and net vary yes. across customers over time yeah uh, could you talk a bit about what you sure yeah. certainly and so uh, i'll put a caveat also on point number 1 but we'll come to that later yeah. uh, but let me answer the question that you had so typically what you would find an and what we find here as well is that any time you introduce a new feature and this is not just true for subscriptions true for many companies even changing things simple things like you change something on your website yeah what you might find is that there is a sudden increase in traffic perhaps or people using that why just simply novelty you know something has changed in the overall process people like to try it out mm. so if subscriptions were only doing that what you should have found perhaps is that there is a, a a sharp increase when people become subscribers but quickly the novelty goes away yeah. but what we do find is that indeed there is a sharp increase 
but the novelty starts dropping you know, not quickly enough. So that's mm. good for the company. Mm. And over time, it actually stag- or settles down into an amount which is bigger than what they were buying before. Right. And so in that sense, there is a residual impact of the subscription much longer after they became subscribers. Right, right. So the net present value for the company is 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 lot higher. Exactly, uh, lot higher. Yeah. Uh, the one caveat I'd like to put in here, yeah. which goes beyond the paper as well, uh, and we are working on another word, the next version of this paper. It's under review right now, so we yeah. bring up some of those um, aspects in that next version. And I'll be happy to send it to you if you're interested sure, in looking sure, at absolutely. it. Yeah. If we also try to look at, um, and which is a very important uh, point for the companies today, we started looking at the operation side of things, yeah. which is, uh, you know, this company, just like Amazon Prime that you mentioned and other companies, mm. obviously uh, one, one part of the subscription is free shipping. Right. And so you can imagine that, uh, you know, somebody became a member, they started buying a lot, mm. but... The, the frequency of their purchase, and this is what we find as well, sometimes becomes a lot more, but the yeah. amount they buy per time becomes yeah. a little bit less. Right, right. And the problem now from the company is that, yeah, we are making some money, but the cost of shipping is actually going up as well. Right. And so net-net, we are also trying to see, for example, uh, apart from just the revenue side of things, mm. what is the profitability side of things? And and just quick results, uh, we're still working through the details, is actually, you know, uh, not surprisingly, but somewhat surprisingly to this company, mm-hmm. is that many, many customers actually are not profitable. Um, right. They actually do not generate a- additional profit because the amount that they're buying versus the amount that the company has to spend on shipping actually goes up. Yeah, that's that's very interesting, Raghu. So it's almost like the company has written sort of a free convenience option uh, for the customer, and the customer is happily exercising. <laughs> exactly, uh, and which and not, which absolutely. So you can yeah. imagine now with the Amazon Prime number that we've been reading. Yeah. Uh, the one that you brought up earlier. Yeah. Uh, uh, there are two points to bring up here. One was, of course, the self-selection that we brought up. The other one, of course, is that these are revenue numbers. Hmm. Uh, they don't take into account the cost for Amazon to send out all those packages uh, to kind of do all the returns, all of those things as well. Right. Right. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating. Yeah, I would love to uh, see the next next version of this, uh, Raghu. I want to jump into another paper that you have, um, which is entitled "Opinion Leadership and Social Contagion in New Product Diffusion." Yeah. Um, and and so this is you know um, really thinking about key opinion leaders, what their um, uh, what their you know sort of uh, what they say about your new product matters how they are connected in the social networks matter. So, so what did you find in this paper? Yeah, so this was a fascinating study with um, one of my colleagues, Christoph Vandenbulter, who is uh, a member in my department, and Thomas Valenti, who is actually in the medical school in uh, USC. Yeah. Um, so it was very interesting. The way we went about it, just to give you a little bit of background, um, yeah. what was the idea for this paper? The idea yeah. was that we were working very closely with a pharmaceutical company. I can't name the company. We signed an agreement with them. Sure. But it's a very big company. And they have lots and lots of different products. Um, yeah. So we're working very closely with them in the following sense that, uh, you know, uh, they were coming out with a new product. Uh, they wanted to figure out, for example, who are the doctors hmm. who would, quote unquote, become good influencers for this product in the sense that these are the people that should be first targeted because if they start adopting the drug, prescribing it to their patients, hopefully because of word of mouth and the, the fact that they might be connected to other doctors, yeah. they might be able to spread how good this, this particular drug is to fight that particular disease. Right. Um, now, if you think about pharmaceutical companies, of course, they know a lot about these doctors already. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you'd be amazed uh, how much they know because they've done their homework. They know, for example, you <laughs> yeah. know that as as any company should, uh, those the doctors are their quote unquote customers. Yeah, uh, they do a lot of background work. You know where a doctor has gone to school, are they solo practitioners, all kinds of things. Mm. So one thing that when we started working with them, which was kind of their interest, was that beyond all of the other things that we already know, for example, as the what I call behavioral measures, so to speak which is how much of com- competitive drugs are they already prescribing. Yeah. Uh, we have demographic measures, like you know where you went to school, all of that. We might have measures from scientific publications. Right. We might have measures from which uh, you know, uh, kind of uh, bodies are you part of, which is are you part of an American Medical Association, all of those things. Mm. The one extra thing that we were thinking about and we wanted to showcase how useful it is, is basically social networks, which right. is this idea that people are not you know, in vacuum. When even for doctors, even for people, quote unquote, who are experts, obviously they listen to each other. They <laughs> right. try to learn from what's happening to other people's patients and in how would they best perhaps treat their own patients. Yeah. And so that was the idea for this, which is to understand, first of all, can we showcase that uh, there is indeed this presence of social contagion, which is influence among doctors in this case? Yeah. And how important is it when, when this company in this case is thinking about a new product that is diffusing through the marketplace. Right, right. And so so what you measured is the product success or the probability of engaging the KOL? Very good point. So actually, let me, uh, I'll, I'll tell you literally what we did. What we yeah. had was, and, and I think this is the best visual that perhaps the way to describe it. Yeah. Imagine uh, a, a, a graph where each of the nodes are doctors. Mm-hmm. Uh, each of the links between them is whether these doctors know each other or not. Do yeah. they discuss things? And imagine on top of this graph, you have uh, you know, a drug that is quote-unquote diffusing through it where each uh, doctor is deciding whether to prescribe this drug or not. Mm. And if they do prescribe, we know they have prescribed it. If they don't, we also know that. Right. And what we're trying to figure out then is, given this way of prescription versus not prescription, are there some doctors who are overly influential? Mm-hmm. Uh, and secondly, you know, what would be the diffusion of this drug had they quote-unquote not been as influential? So that's right. what we were trying to do. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. So, you know, in the pharma context, yeah. uh, as you know, KOLs are used in, in many parts of the pharma R&D process, yes. R&D and marketing process, right? So in discovery and clinical trials, you are really looking for technical expertise. Exactly. Uh, but post-approval, uh, it's really a complex thing, right? So what the, what the paper is really exploring is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Raghu, um, a KOL that is more connected in a social network, um, in, a, in a social network, uh, has more power in terms of diffusion of that information across the markets? Very good point. So I think this became a little bit tricky and yeah. there's a lot of work that, uh, that people in marketing and other people obviously have done as well, yeah. which is, you know, when you're trying to figure out whether there's actually social contagion or so many other factors that might be at work. Yeah. For example, it could be uh, the same salesperson that goes and talk to the same doctors. Mm. It could be so many other things going on. So that's where a lot of careful work went in, yeah. uh, where we try to see whether can we conclusively say something about social contagion after quote unquote controlling for many other factors. Yeah. But having said that, uh, again, some part which is not in the paper, I'll give you a little blurb, sure. which is a big aha moment for the company, Yeah, was the following. Here's what we did. We basically said, okay, let's go ahead and plot, for example, what does the map of these doctors look like? When I say map of the doctors, it's let's imagine you and I are doctors. Yeah. 
and if we are connected to each other there'll be a there'll be a link between us if right. we're not connected to each other there'll be no link between us yeah so let's take the three cities that we are at san francisco new york la those are the three cities and we basically plotted what does it look like mm-hmm. now some of the doctors who were super connected mm-hmm. which is many many people were coming to them for discussion yeah many people were coming to them for advice and so on and so forth the company already knew about it you know obviously this was kind of like a sanity check <laughs> right you know like yeah i mean if they had not popped up there would be something wrong in our research as opposed to their research right right because they want to know like all the doctors that we know who write in publications who are part of these big conventions all of that yeah. of course they should show up yeah what was very interesting to the company was that we found some doctors who were quote unquote under the radar mm-hmm. these were people uh, who were quote unquote not really going out and talking to too many patients they they were not that many uh, they were not that many people who were going to medical convention so on and so forth what were they doing they were very embedded in the community yeah so the for example in the san francisco community we found some doctors who were top people that were mentioned in terms of discussion but they were nowhere to be found in the company's own uh, kind of ranking of how important they were right. and so one of the findings for the company that was useful uh, for them was to think about the following which is when we are trying to find out key opinion leaders mm. there might be multiple dimensions to think about yeah of course the number of patients you see of course whether you are part of a big kind of medical facility you write in important publications those are very important mm. but also somewhat important is how many people quote unquote are coming to you for discussion and advice and how embedded you are in the community right right Yeah so you know there is an analog here uh, ragu so we did some work actually in a large pharmaceutical company in the 90s yeah. Yeah. in the in the human resource organizational context so if you do the network that you describe what you find is that there are highly influenceable highly influencing i should say yeah. people yeah. Yeah. in the organization that is not really correlated with their titles or really you know point. how well they are known in the in the organization Uh, but they are very very they have very high influence <laughs> on the organization uh because they are really embedded into the organization a lot of people come to them for advice and, and so on and so forth absolutely yeah. i think that is exactly what we find i wish i could show you a uh, uh, a picture which is a very nice visual but i'll give you a detail and i'll just you know can do the voice over what we had done was um, and again just for this for the for your audience this particular disease that we are talking about was a little bit more prevalent in asian american yeah and so when we looked at uh, some of the doctors they had asian american last names because obviously they're part of the community mm-hmm. but they also had anglo saxon last names because there are other kinds of doctors who were treating the same disease right the doctor that i was mentioning you know some of these people who were under the radar mm. in some sense these were quote unquote bridges between the two communities <laughs> i see there were a yeah. bunch of doctors who were asian american there were a bunch of doctors who were anglo saxon but yeah. a few doctors we found who were quote unquote commu- uh, connecting the two communities together right right yeah so it's almost like there are two different networks there and those bridges are going to be highly valuable right? absolutely yeah. and those were bridges you know many of them again uh, were people that were under the radar for this particular pharmaceutical company right. and for them that was an eye opener uh, mm. in that there are other ways in which you could measure key opinion leadership beyond the typical measures that they use right right yeah that's fascinating uh, i want to talk a, a bit about a uh, few other papers mm-hmm. um so so one of them uh, is the effect of price promotions on new customer acquisition for yeah. information goods yes so 
we all, you know, we often see price promotions, right? Uh, uh, with expectation that such a promotion will will accumulate a large number of customers. Um, so, so what did you find um, with that, you know, with that kind of a strategy? Very good point. So this is work uh, completely under progress now. So we're still okay. working on a lot of details. Yeah. But basically what we are trying to see here is the following. Uh, there's a huge amount of work uh, in marketing, especially, you know, since scanner data, the AC Mielsen data came out in the 80s and early 90s, where what people have seen is, um, and not surprising, and I'm sure you and I can resonate with it, if you ever see a price promotion in a retail store, you say, yeah, that's a good price. Let's go and get it. Right. But guess what happens? You might buy it one time, but after that, you're done. Yeah. And so what people have seen typically is in the grocery context that price promotions and people who are acquired through these promotions typically are cherry pickers. Yeah. Uh, these are people who are looking for a good deal. Mm. And typically their, their quote unquote long term value may not be as good. Right. Uh, what we find here is a little bit of the opposite, mm. which is people who came through a price promotion actually end up staying longer. Mm. They end up actually using the service a lot more. Interesting. And so what we are trying to figure out, and that's why it's under progress now, yeah. is what is the rationale behind it? Is it because of self-selection? Uh, is it because of other kinds of things that they are looking for? Uh, one of the things that we find, for example, is, and this is uh, this is a, a, a news portal where we can, you know, let think of like a New York Times. It's not New York Times, but think of it like New York Times, where you can perhaps, you know, go in, look at some articles, but there are perhaps some things under a paywall. Mm-hmm. So what we can see is before people become subscribers, how many times do they hit a paywall? Right. And so that's a signal that they are perhaps, you know, wanting to read some articles, but they can't. Mm. As soon as they see a price promotion and a dip, they decide this is the good time to go and get it. So they were already interested in the service. Yeah. So they're unlike those cherry pickers because they're, they're coming to the website, they're coming in, consuming content, they're all quite interested, but perhaps the price is just too much for them to pay. So the, the price promotion in this context, uh, is that a perpetual Yes. So this is basically okay. a perpetual price promotion where uh, instead of paying $5 per month, they were paying about 250 per month for accessing the, the news articles. Okay. So it's sort of, uh, is it possible it's just a price elasticity or maybe a wrong pricing issue or? No, it could be. But yeah. I think what the company wanted to do, which was kind of nice. I mean, again, we yeah. as academics, we always look for, for example, some uh, experiments, quote unquote, quasi experiments the company may have done. Yeah. Uh, in this case, what happened was that for a particular week, they decided to lower the price right. uh, for only for that week. And it was not announced before. When was it ending was also not announced. Hmm. And so what they wanted to see was that all the traffic that's coming onto the website uh, does a larger fraction of them change hmm. uh, to become a subscriber. And if so, you know, what happens to their kind of usage of that service over time? Right. So that's what we have been trying to use in some sense. And again, I don't think they, uh, from the point of view of the company, when they thought about the price change, it's not, we work, we work very closely with them. I don't think it was very clear that they wanted to kind of, uh, they settled on an optimal number per se. Yeah. What they simply wanted to see was that how, quote unquote, important is the price yeah. for these consumers to turn into subscribers? And can we get a little bit more for the buck? Right. And will these people last long enough such that they're actually profitable as well. Right. And what you found was that they, they last long enough. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And that's why it's a little bit surprising because yeah. it's a little contrary to what typically people have found in price promotion in grocery products. Yeah. But as you point out, you know, there, there are big differences in that in the grocery products, the typical finding is for a one-time price promotion mm. versus here, obviously, it's a permanent shift 
in that you're getting a lower price right. for the subscription. But right. it's still not clear why, even if you've gotten a lower price, should you still be consuming a lot more still yeah. over time? So that's what we're trying to resolve as to right. what might be going on behind the scenes in terms of how these people came in, uh, perhaps what their demographics was, uh, were they looking for certain kinds of articles? That's why they got interested. That's what we're looking at. Yeah, so you have another paper here, Raghu, uh, which is sort of related, the perils of proactive churn prevention mm -hmm. using planned recommendations. Yeah. Right? So, you know, this is companies trying to prevent churn by yes. essentially giving uh, prospective customers or all customers uh, better information as to what plan, for example, in cell phone usage, for example, what yeah. plan might be more optimum for them, right? But but you you find you find something potentially counterintuitive. Absolutely, and I think uh, thank you for bringing up this paper. This was a wonderful collaboration by with a colleague Eva Escarza, who is now at Harvard, yeah. and Martin Fleiker, who was a PhD student at Columbia at that point in time. Hmm. Um, so what was interesting about this was the following that, you know, uh, this was a time where uh, I had done some work in uh, in cell phone plants. Eva had also done some work. And, you know, we had built models historically where we are looking at, you know, how consumers choose these plants and so on. Hmm. Now, what had happened during this time when this paper was coming out and has still been happening is that many companies now have been thinking carefully about how can they help their customers mm -hmm. perhaps choose better plans? Because yeah. you, know, you can imagine, you know, and there is there is what they call the bill shock bill literally, right. uh, where you open up, and this was a few years ago, when you open up your cell phone bill and you're like shocked. You know, <laughs> How did this happen? You know, where did I, you know, because and the cell phone plans are so complex to figure out. Yeah. And so to that end, companies, you know, proactively want to do something. So this company, again, this was, I can't mention the name of the company sure. because again, this time, this yeah. company was thinking about a similar thing where they want to be proactive. Hmm. They literally wanted to say, you know, Raghu, for example, you know, we're looking at your usage in the last few months it looks like you're not on the right plan. Here's a better plan for you. Mm -hmm. Now you can imagine this is kind of good from the customer's point of view because right. the customer might say, well, the company's looking out for them. Right. This is so yeah. good. I was busy and I didn't know what else to do. Yeah. And they've been looking out. Like, That's great. But on the other hand, this is what we want to explore here is the following. That you may have what I call woken up a sleeping dog, <laughs> uh, right? I mean, you kind of, you know, you were going along, you were paying for the cell phone service, you know, you're busy, whatever the case might be, yeah. uh, it's going on. And suddenly the company clicks you, so to speak, to say, well, you didn't make the right decision. Mm -hmm. So, oh, okay, thank you for letting me know. But now that I've woken up, I'm going to start exploring what is my right decision. Mm -hmm. And for many of these customers, it might be that the right decision is not with you at all. Yeah. It might be with your competitor. Right. And so that's the idea of, quote unquote, the perils of proactive churn prevention, where you might go ahead as a company wanting to actually do good for your customers by telling them that yeah. they perhaps can make a better decision. But the very fact that you've changed their habitual decision making, right. you put them in a decision making state now and they can <laughs> go ahead and start looking around and exploring. Right, and that's right. kind of what we find, actually. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. Um so essentially kind of teaching your customers to shop around may not, may not be a good may thing not, for the company. And, but yeah. again, if you think about it, right, uh, yeah. so there, there are two answers to that. Yeah. We, we propose one answer, but what you're bringing up is another answer. So here's one answer we propose. Mm -hmm. So I, I remember the distinct conversation we had with the company once we kind of told them, look, this is what has happened. Um, and so the conversation was like, what are you telling us? Like, should we never tell our customers anything? Yeah. I was like, well, no, that's not true. And here's where I think uh, a little bit of the, the experimentation that we had done, the A-B test, mm -hmm. together with uh, segmentation, so to speak, uh, or machine learning, however you want to call it, comes in, 
which is you have to figure out who are the right customers to poke. That's right. Yeah. And so in some sense, any campaign that you think about, it should not be a mass campaign. Right. Always think about who are the right customers. So that's one strategy. Right. The other strategy, of course, is and which many insurance companies actually do here in the US is that, look, here's our rate. You go ahead and shop around. Hmm. I'm sure you'll not find a better rate. If you do, we'll match it. Right. So that's the other strategy. We didn't explore that strategy here. We kind of told them that uh, for future campaigns, yeah, always keep thinking about how can you, what are the characteristics of customers that will best be resonating with that campaign mm. and try to go after those customers as opposed to quote-unquote doing a mass campaign. Right, right. So better segmentation and really identify uh, the ones that might be profitable long-term. Absolutely. So I, I want to close with uh, another paper, um, Raghu, and I, I think this is uh, quite interesting for us to think about in this political season too. Yeah, sure. And it's entitled uh, Communication Channels and Word of yes. Mouth, How the Medium Shapes the Message. Yes. Uh, you want to talk about that? Sure. And actually, this is work with uh, my wonderful colleague, Jonah Berger, very prolific in this area. Yeah. Um, he does a lot of work on persuasion, all of that. He has a new book out as well. Um, so wonderful colleague, uh, you know, it was a pleasure to work with him. And the basic idea that we were trying to explore was, you know, and, and the following, which is obviously people share a lot of information with each other. You know, uh, and again, there's there are some statistics out there which uh, sometimes might you know uh, sound counterintuitive, but if you think about it, they make sense. Which is there's actually a lot more offline conversation than online conversation. Right. It sounds kind of counterintuitive because everybody thinks about Facebook and all of that. But, you know, you can think about the number of people you talk to offline. Yeah. They're typically a lot more. Hmm. And so what we wanted to see was beyond just the talking, what people talk about, does it also change something? Right. And what we found was it was kind of interesting. We started started to think about, you know, how would people, for example, when they are doing uh, synchronous versus asynchronous conversations. So, for example, hmm. written versus oral. Right. Uh, when, you're, when you're writing something versus talking face to face, you know, uh, when you're writing something, you can take the time and effort yeah. to kind of think about things that people may find interesting. <laughs> right. When you're talking face to face, you're trying to quote unquote fill in the space, fill in the yes. time. Yes. And what happens then is people talk about things that are just top of their mind. It may or may not be interesting to other people. <laughs> and so very broadly, you know, you know, how you think about the kinds of characteristics of that medium. Yeah. And what message may resonate with what type of medium fundamentally changes the shape of that medium as well. Interesting. Yeah. So would you say, uh, Raghu, uh, I don't know the statistics, but would you say we are on a path to higher and higher written communication compared to oral communication because of the spread of all the social media or not? Actually, it's very interesting. You know, I mean, again, I don't know the statistics myself, but if yeah. you think about it, uh, you know, on the one hand, the, uh, the 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 answer may seem yes because you know not just the social media. You think about all the reviews that you write on yeah. Amazon, yeah. all the other kind of the the written communication. Right. On the other hand, uh, the more recent uh, kind of uh, revival of uh, not revival per se, but the more recent kind of emergence of uh, video channels, mm -hmm. uh, where uh, a lot of product placement is through short videos. Mm. Uh, so think about you know the, obviously the more controversial one was TikTok, which recently happened. There are other ones as well, Instagram, all of those things right. where there might be a lot more visual representation right. as opposed to the written word. And so I think depending upon what channel you're using, what audience you're going to and yeah. what is it that we're talking about, one or the other kind of uh, medium may actually have a lot more resonance.
Yeah, that's interesting. So, um, you know, it's almost like a four by uh, two by two matrix, right? Yeah. So you have synchronous and asynchronous on your X axis. Exactly. And you have audio and video on your Y axis. Exactly. Exactly. And we're going to have modalities in all four of those blocks. Exactly. And you can yeah. expand it, you know, uh, the, the synchronous, asynchronous. Uh, obviously, I think that is the, uh, that, that is the uh, right characterization on one of the axes. The other one obviously changes over time, which is you can think about you know, a few years ago, it was about the written word. Uh, before that, perhaps it could be something else. And as you know, people are taking phone calls. I don't think many people don't take phone calls anymore. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's more about text. So as time goes on, obviously, the, the medium may change. Right. But thinking about you know what medium and which type of message and whether it's synchronous or asynchronous, I think that's what we want to converge to. Right, right. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, so, so you mentioned you're working on um, second versions of a couple of papers, yeah. uh, especially the subscription uh, subscription program. Do you know when that might be coming out? Yeah, so we're actually working on the revision now. Yeah. Uh, one of the students I've been working with is on the job market now, so she's obviously a little bit busy with that. Uh, so we're hoping in the next few months, we've done all the analysis. Uh, the review team had been amazing. Uh, the journal that we've gone to, so they've suggested some, uh, you know, very uh, kind of some analyses that I think will enhance the contribution of the paper. So we're working on that, trying to change also a little bit of the positioning. I think it'll it'll have hopefully a lot more impact. Uh, so yeah. we're working on that part as well. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, this has been great, Raghu. Thanks so much for spending time with me. And uh, good luck with uh, all your research in this area. Thank you, Gil. This was a pleasure. And again, uh, you know, I think as uh, as more papers come along, I would love to forward it to you and get your feedback as well. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye-bye.